0: Hello, everyone. I'm Bill. I'm Joe. And other Joe um, went up a creek without a paddle.
1: And while he was up that creek, he discovered that his wife was pregnant and they're going to have another baby, and he's got a lot of crazy things in his life right now, and he said, I don't have time for a podcast. Yep. And then we found him a paddle, and we said, come back! And he said, I still don't have time for a podcast.
0: Yep. We tried to save him, and... Uh, Like Anakin Skywalker, he rejected being the Chosen One. But today, we are here for the foundation. We are here for the reason we have a podcast, and that is the gospel. And the gospel, like any building, has to start with square one, the cornerstone, the thing that all of our hope and joy is founded on. And that is that God is real. We owe him our obedience. He created all things.
1: We don't obey him. Every one of us is a sinner. Because we have sinned, we have earned eternal punishment in hell. But because God loves us, he made a way for us to spend eternity with him instead.
0: Yes, and God, who is perfectly just and also perfectly merciful, came down, was born of a virgin, uh, born into his creation, a, a lowly, poor man, and lived a perfect, sinless life, obeying all of the law of God. And then when the time was right, went to the cross and died for our sins taking our place and taking our punishment so that all who believe in him and who trust on him alone for their salvation and for payment for their sins can be with him forever for all eternity
1: on the third day after he was killed he rose bodily from the dead he proved that he was genuinely alive He has since ascended into heaven where he is ruling as a king over the universe. And all anyone has to do to have his sacrifice applied to their account is repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved.
0: And one day Christ will return and he will gather the faithful, both living and dead, to himself. And on that day, um, the wicked and the evil and the unbelieving, the murderers, the adulterers, the fornicators, everyone that did not turn from their sins, will be sentenced to an eternity in a lake of fire, in a place that is apart from all of God's goodness forever and ever. And his children, those who believed, those who believed in the name of Christ and believed in God, will be called up to him in a new heaven and a new earth, and they will live with God, and God will live amongst them forever and ever.
1: And because none of us knows whether or not we will see tomorrow, or even whether we will survive another five minutes... Procrastinating on this decision is one of the most dangerous choices you can ever make. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to deal with this issue. Going, Saying I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to look at this tomorrow with fresh eyes. Is not a wise or safe choice.
0: Don't put it off. Don't forget about it. Don't put it on your bucket list. Don't tell yourself that you will think about it once you're done living your life. Because today, tomorrow, and the next five minutes could be all the time that you have. This is the eternal question, the most important choice that you could make that determines whether or not you live forever, And perfect joy and peace with your creator. Or you spend a life. In a living hell. Away from all the goodness that God has created. All the goodness that flows from him forever. And that. Is the gospel. That we were dead in our sins. We deserved hell. And God paid the price we should Have paid to save us.
1: And now we're going to take a little bit of time and kind of break it down, look at each of these points in a little more detail. But we wanted to get the quick summary out there first.
0: Uh, Okay, point one God is real.
1: I suspect that this is where several of our listeners are going to have their first major difficulty because we have been so indoctrinated in our modern culture that there is no god this world spontaneously came out of nothing and we all just evolved from chemicals and smaller creatures into humans and chance and yes and chance chance is given this mystical power in the evolutionary worldview you know, originally the word just meant something that may or may not happen it was a way of Discussing mathematical probabilities when the, well, there were complex factors, especially, you know, wind pressure and various other physics equations. What Which way is the coin going to flip? Well, we don't know. There's a 50-50 chance now. And dang it, I'm way off on a tangent. Anyway, so when we're going to make the assertion that God is real, the first thing we need to do is look at evolution logically. And basically what evolution boils down to is the statement that something came out of nothing all by itself. Whether you call it self-creation or spontaneous generation or whatever other phrase you want to use. The basic claim of evolution is that not just something but everything manifested out of nothing all by itself all the matter all the energy just appeared and the laws of thermodynamics tell us clearly that matter and energy are never created are never destroyed they are only changed from one form to another and we're supposed to believe that the only major the only exception is the entire physical universe when it's the biggest thing imaginable, that could just pop in
0: just and just be there instantly. But when it's a small thing, then no. Nothing.
1: And then after the entire universe just appeared, we're supposed to believe that random chemicals suddenly became alive. All at once, they hit the enormous agency. levels of complexity. E- even small organisms even single-celled creatures have to be incredibly complex they have several m- basically miniature organs within their single-celled bodies and they could not survive without all of them
0: yeah they're even the smallest single-cell organisms have a irreducible complexity in which if they went any simpler or if they lost any of these very complex parts they wouldn't exist they couldn't live they'd cease to exist
1: as a side note when darwin was first proposing his theory of evolution he made a comment that if we ever discovered this kind of irreducible complexity it would completely prove his theory false from the ground up and then after a while we got things like microscopes and we discovered this irreducible complexity but by then evolution was so heavily culturally ingrained that we just kind of swept it under the rug. And, uh,
0: people that have a lot more position and authority have pushed that narrative from very high places and made it a sort of cultural standard and a way to justify, um, just their egregious behavior. They say there's no accountability so they can, They are their own judge and act how they want. Which actually brings us to
1: point two. Uh, Before we leave point one, um, we could spend hours talking about the logical fallacies in evolution, but people have already done that. We don't want to spend the entire podcast covering that ground again. But there are a few websites we'd like to mention if you have more questions, if you want to look into this in detail. Answers in Genesis is a fantastic organization that has done this work already stand to reason is another very good resource and if you have any questions about evolution creation the bible or anything else
0: any theological question any hang-ups any misunderstandings
1: anything at all that you would like answered from a biblical worldview you can either send us an email or just go to gotquestions.org
0: yeah, but we are not gotquestions.org. No,
1: that's that's not us. Those are two separate options. Yeah. And
0: I mean uh, you know, we'll answer your question the best of our ability, pray for you, you know, maybe talk to you if if that's what you want. But um, we will be the first to admit that there are better more that are there are better people for in this field than we are.
1: And several of those world. better people can be found at gotquestions.org. Mm-hmm. It's real simple. It's like
0: uh, Google, but Christian questions. And then, you know, you can go from there and just, you know, ask it a question and follow the links they provide to, to learn more. All right. Point. The next point. We are all sinners. Uh, Romans chapter 1. If you want a quick summary of the, the, the whole of the Bible... On, on the subject, Romans chapter 1 explains that every por- person is born with innate knowledge of God. And in our fallen state, we inherited from Adam because a, if you divide up a, a, a dirty tablecloth, the pieces don't become clean. And just like us being children of fallen people, we are also fallen people. We are like our parents. We have chosen our own way instead of God's way. And that's our natural state. That's what all of us do. And mm-hmm. Roman 1, it explains that all of us have an innate knowledge of God. We have the witness. We have the, the world around us that tells us that you know, if you wouldn't look at a house and assume it, grew there. so you look at a world with its complexity with its it, it's custom tailored for us to live in despite how harsh it is you know there is air to breathe there is water to drink there are plants that that produce every manner of uh, vitamin and mineral that we need and they're spread out all over the globe except for like the harshest places where most people don't live you can find everything you need to survive and live a nutritionally balanced life just about anywhere you are and that's not a coincidence the the good things in life don't just happen they are they are from god but we we reject this we we reject what we see in nature and we reject our inner witness to what's good, our conscience, which tells us if we're doing good or bad. And one day we will be judged by our conscience. Some of us sear our conscience. We tell ourselves over and over again that, you know, what we're doing is good even though we know it's not, and eventually we just go numb to it. But we do have, you know, that, that inner voice that tells you when you're doing wrong, was given you by God for a reason. Um, and all of us, as Roman said, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We take, you know, what we know, we take what we get from our conscience and what can we observe from the world around us and we ignore the parts we don't like and we choose to see things the way we like it. And that is the fallen condition we all live in. We would rather God not be in our life because he is holy and he is perfect and our fallen sinful nature rejects him like a vampire rejects the sun. We can't stand his holiness in and of ourself because it is opposite and we know that because he is holy and just that we are in danger Because we live in sin and rebellion against him. So, in our heart, in our soul, we turn against him and we would rather live without him there.
1: And this is everyone. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the most hardened criminal or if we're talking about Mother Teresa or Gandhi or whoever. If you jump ahead a couple of chapters to Romans 3, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who seeks after God. Every one of us has broken God's moral law. Every one of us has done things that we should not. None of us are good enough to earn God's favor and the reason this is such a problem is because god is holy he is a just judge when someone breaks the law in the united states there are going to be consequences and the worse their crime the worse the consequences if i'm caught speeding i might have to pay a fine If I kill a bunch of people, they might send me to the electric chair or lethal injection. And if I do something in between, you know, rob a bank bank or something like that, I might have to spend several years in prison. The worse the crime, the worse the penalty.
0: And the people in charge, uh, the people that are in charge of us,
1: set the penalties. And... This is right. This is just. You know, if I'm on trial for robbing a bank, and I stand there and go, "Well, yeah, I took all that money, but look at the good things I did. I'm, I'm, you know, helped this kid with some of it. I gave some to my grandma. Yeah, I gave it to my grandma. I gave some of it to charity, and ignore that expensive car in my driveway. That's a separate issue. Oh, maybe maybe we've gone ahead of ourselves. Probably.
0: Yeah, we've gone ahead of ourselves a little bit. The reason bring up people in charge set the punishment is because God has set the punishment. And those who sin, even once, if you sin once, one, that shows that you are a sinner and you are fallen and you reject God. And two, the punishment for sin is the punishment for sinning against an eternal holy God is an eternal punishment. And he sets the rules, he made us, he made all the universe, he has the right to do so. And the punishment for sin is death, and not just death, but physical, but spiritual death. We, those of us who sin, which is everybody, are forever turned away from him without the good news. And we would be turned away from him forever had he not loved us, but that is shortly we'll get to that
1: so yeah that that's the point is our sin has earned us eternal punishment in hell and hell is a doctrine that many people today even many christians struggle with
0: well first let's go on the don't get confused by hell as a doctrine hell is definitely a place and I know Joe was going to say that, but I just want to say it from the offset. Don't, you know, don't get confused in terms here. Hell is a place, a place where people will uh, people will go, do go, and are there now.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hell is a place. Hell is something that Jesus talked about really a lot. There is more, we have more words from Jesus recorded in the Gospels about hell than about any other single topic
0: mm-hmm. he was serious about it
1: yeah you know, just a a few of the things that he says uh, he called it in luke chapter 16 a place of torment and agonizing flame he called it unquenchable fire five times in the space of seven verses in mark chapter 9 He called it the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 13. He said that it would be better for us to cut off our own limbs and gouge out our own eyes than to suffer the torments of hell, again in Mark 9. And that we would be better off tying a heavy stone around our necks and being thrown into the middle of the ocean than to suffer that punishment in Luke 17. In Matthew 25 he called it the eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place of pain and torment designed as punishment for Satan and his demons. And when we sin against God, we rightfully earn that same punishment for ourselves. That that I I don't like it. I don't like it any more than anyone else, but that's the truth of what Jesus taught. And trying to sugarcoat it will not do anyone any good. Yeah. Telling, somebody, uh, telling uh,
0: somebody with a bear behind them that there is no bear doesn't stop them from getting mauled. Same as telling them that there isn't a hell doesn't stop anyone from going there. Uh, your belief on hell... If you are unsaved, will not spare you from it in the slightest. And see, this is, it's hard. It's hard to picture perfect mercy, perfect love, and perfect justice co-mingling. But justice is love. If there were no justice, then those, if justice weren't loving, if justice weren't right, then the the innocent people that you know, like, you know, if a mother and her daughter are stabbed to death, walking in the park, coming home, and nothing is done about it, then th- that would be terrible. And I think anyone would agree with that. But, see, now you have to put yourself... Under the microscope And see your own condemnation And how you deserve um, You deserve justice For the life that you've lived For your rebellion against God And it's hard But the good news is Is that God also loves And he does not take joy He doesn't take pleasure In anyone going to hell and anyone Getting what they deserve He would rather the whole world, repent and come to him, but they won't. Salvation is laid out plainly and clearly, and people reject it because they'd rather live on their own, or they won't give up their pride and admit they're wrong, or they just hate God because he's holy and different.
1: But in spite of all that, he loves us. And he loves us so much that Jesus came to earth to pay the debt that we owed. And. Oh, no.
0: Yeah, finish your thought because I, I was going to expand on that. Go right ahead. Yeah. I like how the show The Chosen put it when they did, you know, a depiction of Jesus talking to. Um, I forgot his name. For John 3.16. Nicodemus. Yeah. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader in ancient Jerusalem. I like the way the Chosen put it. the This is the way God loved the world. That he sent his only begotten son. Oh my goodness. I am just out of it today.
1: You finish was- that for me? Been a while since you've seen that episode?
0: No, I am. Yeah, yeah, the exact wording, but just the first part. This is the way God loved the world.
1: That he Mm -hmm. sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yes. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Where is... Here, can I have...
0: It's going to bother me until I... I'm sorry, listener. Sidebar. I'm sorry, listener. Uh, it, it was a long weekend and a lot of driving, but you know, just just oh, here we go. I turned right to it. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, mixing and matching here. That this is the way God loved the world. That He gave His only Son. Gave. You know, He He sacrificed Him. It was a you know, God had God, in the, God the Father, God the Son, which we'll go into in just a second. Um, they lived in perfect harmony, perfect union. They, you know, perfectly loved each other and were content in each other. And the Son obeying the Father and the Father loving the Son and loving the world sent him down to earth to die, to save us from our sins. To pay an eternal, you know, to pay an eternal price for the eternal punishment we deserve. God being an eternal being, you know, he experienced it. And like, I don't understand, like, I'll say the physics of it. I don't understand how an eternal being feels pain, how this happens. But however, whatever agony, whatever torturous suffering had to be paid that we deserve, Jesus took all of it.
1: I think we're going to take a step back and look at who is Jesus. How does he relate to the Father? Where does the Holy Spirit come in? Because the Trinity is more than our minds can fully comprehend, but it's crucial to any discussion of
0: And the most simply put, uh, if I may, is God is one being, one essence. One nature. One nature in three distinct persons. How it works, nobody knows. God is different. God is other. Not wholly other, because otherwise we wouldn't be able to communicate with him at all. We wouldn't be able to relate to him at all. But he is other. He is different he is beyond us in every conceivable way
1: i forget which of the prophets wrote uh, as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways declares the lord
0: yes god he created us but he created us with hard limits we have as far as we can go and can go no further and god does not have those. He is infinite. The only thing that stops him is stuff that is logically impossible. Like, uh, an an omnipotent being cannot create a stone too heavy for him to lift because he can't use his omnipotence to defeat his omnipotence.
1: And he cannot do anything that is contrary to his own nature. He cannot deny himself or change or be other than he is
0: and he cannot lie he cannot sin he cannot act differently than how he is because he is perfect and is not influenced by things like we are he is unchangeable he has forever past been the same forever future been the same you know will be the same he doesn't learn anything nothing surprises him Everything is within view. You know, there is nothing that will happen that can happen that he hasn't already seen, already dealt with, already decreed for a lot of it. God can never change. And just to stress again, one being, one essence, one nature in three persons. The Father, who is the head, who is in charge. Not because he's more powerful or because he is... Somehow better or superior, but because he's the one in charge, the son uh, who is. Now you probably explain this one better because I I the roles. Do you remember the? Do you remember how the circle goes?
1: I'm like not, I'm like not the, sure which circle you're looking at.
0: It's like the father is in charge. The son is subservient to the father.
1: Uh, he the son willingly chooses to submit to the father yes and the spirit willingly chooses to submit to the son all three are god all three are infinitely powerful infinitely holy all three were present and active in the creation of the world they are one god and yet Each of them has their own distinct roles in the way they interact with each other and with us. And we can gain some knowledge. We can gain a lot of knowledge through careful study of the scripture, but none of us will fully understand it until we get to heaven and have this curse of sin removed from our minds and and see him as he is.
0: Yeah, just like Jesus and explaining this to the apostles, the apostles before Jesus left, they said they asked him, uh, can you show us the father? And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the father, meaning that Jesus's nature, Jesus's character, Jesus's love, uh, you know, his power, his glory, all that is the same as the father.
1: I love the way it's worded in John chapter one. Give me one moment to jump there.
0: Oh, uh, the, just the first part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to read the whole chapter. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> Crack open your Bibles. We're doing a read along. Uh, I'm going to,
1: yeah, I'm going to read in John one, one, and then I'm going to kind of jump forward a little bit. It says in the beginning was the word and, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. And then if you jump ahead to verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth seriously read the gospel of john if you have never opened a bible before or if you've been studying for 50 years read the gospel of john it is absolutely amazing the things that are are written yes
0: and uh something to highlight the importance of you know the first couple verses of the gospel of john is that jesus the holy spirit you know weren't Jesus and the Holy Spirit weren't created; they have always been. God has never changed. Meaning Him in three persons, the three personages—is that a word? Personages? I have no idea. <laughs> it is now. We hereby officially coin it on the podcast. Yeah, just like the just like the word "nased" wasn't a word until uh, the KJV made it or something. What? Yeah, I think I think they had to make the word "nased" because they didn't have an official word for breathing out of your nose. Really? Yeah, I think I think that's true, or <laughs> I made it up. I don't know. Yes. Um,
1: super important. I think we're sidetracked again. Yeah,
0: sidetracked. Super important. Cannot, you know, budge on this, and it is irrefutable. Jesus has always been, because God has always been the same, one being, three persons. Now, we can get back <laughs> to, okay, um... Uh, God sent Jesus to pay our debt. I think we covered that in, we covered that before we, um, actually, yeah, in all of our notes here, we, we, in a roundabout way, went off. Okay. Um, something that, uh, right here, something we have to stress is Jesus on earth, Jesus on earth, he was born of a virgin, the Holy Spirit, uh.
1: Um, overshadowed, yeah, Mary, overshadowed a young girl.
0: A young girl, which she agreed to. She said, you know, she said that uh, she was God's servant and that...
1: Let it be done to me yep. according to your word.
0: Yep, and she became pregnant. There was no physical sex. There was no, you know, God didn't become a, you know, person. No to
1: sperm you. was involved in any way. This was a miraculous conception.
0: Yes, it was miraculous. There was no physical to physical contact involved but jesus the you know the god of the universe the christ took on flesh how it works couldn't possibly be able to tell you the physics of it but god of the universe became the child the son physically of a Lowly peasant girl. And the God of the universe subjected himself to being weak, being a baby. When Jesus Jesus had to grow up, he had to learn how to walk, he had to learn, he had to potty train, he had to learn how to speak. He had to go through teething. He had to go through growing pains. All of that. And he did all of it without sinning without disrespecting his parents living in perfect love and communion with God the Father in perfect obedience his whole life
1: in my mind one of the hardest verses to understand there are several difficult verses in the bible one of the ones that continually spins me around in circles is luke 2:52 it says that jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I get growing in stature. I get growing in favor with man. But how the eternal, omniscient, infinitely wise creator of the universe, who had always been in perfect fellowship with the Father and with the Spirit, could grow in wisdom and in favor with God, I'm still, I mean, I've, I've been turning this verse over in my head for more than half my life, and I'm still not satisfied that i understand even half of it
0: yeah, especially since god can't change meaning i don't think god loved him any more than he already did
1: no it, i mean it was the verses obviously speaking about jesus in his human aspect you know the 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 flesh that he took on you know I, it would be blasphemy to suggest that God that God could loved him could change at all, such as growing in wisdom, or that the Father could love him more than he already did, and yet, there is at least some aspect within his human body where the young child Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man.
0: Yeah, and how it works. Couldn't possibly tell you. But that's the beauty. We don't have to understand how God works. He's God. If we understood how God worked, we would be God too. And it's not possible. One of the impossible things is God can't make another God because God is uncreated. He always has been, always will be. The only, uh, what is the word? He is, he has.
1: He is immutable.
0: Yeah, he's immutable. Immutable means never, can never change. He has a. I made Allison memorize this word, and of course, when I need it, it blanks. My <laughs> mind is blank. All the driving, all the road signs, just killed my brain. So a sayid, a sayid. God has a Uh He is not spell it. No, <laughs> <laughs> he is not reliant. He is not dependent on anything and any anything else in any way but himself. He is. He is, exists, always has in and of himself, and doesn't need food, companionship, any of that. He is perfectly satisfied, capable, everything right now. So.
1: Anyway, quick glimpse behind the curtain here. Things going on in a podcast world. Bill and his wife just got back yesterday afternoon from an out-of-state trip. And if I'm understanding correctly, the whole trip there and back was about 24 hours.
0: Uh, uh Most okay. of it on the road. Okay, it was four hours of driving. Total or each way? Not each way. It was four hours of driving. Well, that's not nearly as bad as I okay. thought. Okay, here's the thing, though. The night before the trip, I didn't sleep. The night we were in the hotel, I couldn't sleep because Elijah kept pushing me literally off the bed. <laughs> He's the one-year-old, by the way. Two. Oh, two?
1: When was his birthday? May. May, oh 20th. wow
0: yeah so he was pushing me off the bed and i usually can't sleep in hotels i'm usually restless and then last night i also couldn't sleep because getting ready i guess because i'm nervous of this i guess so that's three nights and lots of driving and i am shot, guys
1: and yet here we are yep the because i because i bullied him into being here i if you'd have been here in this house a couple of hours ago, you'd have seen me thumping on him with barbells and all sorts of random things. But it worked. Got him into the seat.
0: Yeah. He had to he had to fight me. Um, um, um. um. Oh yeah. Uh, Jesus took on human flesh. Right. How it works, we don't know. But it did. God did, did the unknowable and the unthinkable and He did so to save us.
1: And so, yeah, he grew into a man. He spent about three years in public ministry where he basically traveled all around the country with a group of followers, teaching them and performing a wide variety of miracles that in the public. Yes, in public, in front of everyone, for everyone, including healing the sick, raising the dead, multiplying food, calming storms. Yeah, all sorts of different things that just can't be done. And walking the, on water. Walking on water, many others. The point of the miracles was to prove who he was. Prove he was not a fraud. Prove he really is God.
0: Yes, he did things only God can do. And up until that point in history, nobody did. No, there was there was a prophet that that God allowed to raise the dead once. And that was elijah or elisha raised that boy
1: also uh ezekiel ezekiel went to the valley with a whole bunch of dried bones and that was a vision was that was that a vision
0: yeah that was a vision that I was a vi- that was a vision of 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 god
1: redeeming israel in the future i thought it was no. something that he did okay no, i'm gonna yeah. have to read that book that book again I haven't yeah, read no. it. it's been too long since i read ezekiel apparently yeah
0: um read it and that it it
1: really opens up that book this one mm-hmm.
0: yeah cool. the notes open up the book but yeah so Jesus did stuff and he did it out there in the open not just once not just you know like told somebody oh you feel better and now you're you're better and got them all excited and stuff and feeding on adrenaline one guy he had a shrivelled you know deformed hand and he made the guy's hand in 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 a synagogue and plain view of everyone he made the guy's hand whole and complete
1: another time there was a man who had been blind since birth and we're not talking a toddler we're talking a fully grown adult who had been blind since birth and jesus restored his sight actually that happened a couple Rest- of different times a couple restored, of different he, people
0: he, i'd say if he was blind since birth he gave him sight for the first time
1: yes and the <laughs> so, point is not the sorts of healings that we see on tv today not the sorts of things that could be faked
0: yeah, not a oh, I wiggled your shoe and your leg got longer. He he did he did stuff that medicine now can't even do. Like taking a person who had, who couldn't walk, who was who was lame, who was crippled and and giving him the ability to walk. We're not even doing that now. We still have people in wheelchairs now.
1: And once again, we've got to mention raising the dead. yeah we the story of lazarus is the most commonly mentioned because it's the only one where we get some detail but if you read the gospels he was not the only man that was raised jesus actually gave his disciples the authority for a limited time to go out and raise the dead as part of his process of demonstrating who he is and that he has all authority and can delegate any authority any power he chooses
0: yeah and Lazarus, he had been dead for four days, and not just like, you know, out there in awake, he was dead, they wrapped him up, they put him in his tomb, and he had already started decaying, you know, it would have yeah. been, it would have been at the point of decomposing.
1: Yeah, when Jesus said, roll the stone away from the tomb entrance, Lazarus's sister replied, it's been four days, he stinks. It wasn't, he stinks because he needs a shower, it was... You can smell the decomposition. This is not going to be pleasant.
0: Yeah. And he, uh, Jesus just shouted in there, told him to get up and come on out. And he he gained life and got up and walked out.
1: And so, you know, and again, the point of the miracles, yes, they were acts of love, acts of compassion, good things that he did. Oh, uh, the first miracle he ever performed in public was turning a bunch of water into wine at a wedding feast because the hosts had run out, which would have been hugely embarrassing. And
0: they were friends of the family.
1: Yeah. But anyway, the point of the miracles, yes, they were good things, but the point was that they were evidence that this man was more than a man. He was what he said he was.
0: Yeah. He did all of this. God, ...has been consistent, and when somebody is coming with a message from him, he gives them supernatural abilities to vindicate the message, to prove that it came from God by giving the messenger, or by allowing the messenger to perform miraculous acts that no one else could do, as a sign that, yes, this came from God, I'll prove it, this will happen in the future or uh i have a message from god i'll prove it um like with elijah uh called down fire in it and it burn up an offering the wood uh the stones that it was on
1: the water water.
0: yeah just a big fireball evaporated an altar and the stuff on it and the water and the dust yeah just gone
1: And after three years of this public ministry, after countless miracles and acts of love, and...
0: And almost getting killed.
1: And ongoing teaching, and multiple times where people tried to kill him, and he miraculously escaped, because it was not yet time. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the time came. The reason he came to Earth was to be a sacrifice. And a sacrifice requires death requires the shedding of blood
0: yep god when we sin requires our blood he requires you know we sin we are supposed to die we are supposed to physically die and go straight to judgment
1: and so jesus the god of the universe chose to die and he makes it very clear that this was his choice He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own choosing. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again.
0: Yes. And what's just unimaginable about this love and about this sacrifice is that when we say, when he said, it's offered to all, that isn't you know, all if you fall within this range of goodness or if you've only sinned this much. He means everyone. This message goes out to the liars, the cheaters, the thieves, rapists, murderers, child molesters, everybody. This this offering to turn away from your sin and away from your lust and your rebellion and This life that you live in rebellion of God goes out to everyone, no matter what you've done.
1: And just to prove it, just to demonstrate that no one was beyond the love of God to save them. God prepared a very special object lesson in a man named Saul. And... Saul was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish religious leader, um, highly educated. Yeah, oh, incredibly educated. Uh, basically, he had what would what we would consider multiple PhDs in theology as a very as a young man.
0: And studied in uh, what what would be considered like the Ivy League teach. You know, under the Ivy League teacher of the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Not to mention also being highly educated in the law and logic and he was just, he was one of the most intelligent men of his day and he was a jewish religious leader and he absolutely hated jesus jesus had claimed to be the messiah the jews were waiting for saul did did not believe that he was who he said he was and he made his profession his living to be basically going from town to town and locking up or murdering every christian he could find that was his full-time pursuit was killing christians or dragging them away in chains to the jewish leadership and just to prove that no one is beyond god's power to save not only did jesus save him not only did paul did saul become a christian and we know him now better by the name paul which is basically the greek pronunciation of the hebrew name saul Um, but he went on to become not only one of christ's apostles but the church's first missionary and he ended up writing about two-thirds of the new testament
0: somebody that hated christ and and actively sought out and killed God's children that he that he died and sacrificed his his you know he died for saw you know all the believers are precious to God and he from eternity past has loved them and has known them and He works all things together for the good of those who love him. That means that in shaping history and how he, you know, interacts with the world, everything works together for the good of those who love him, who trust in him. And these are precious people and Paul went around killing them. And God chose to save him just to make him an example of his love and who and how far he's willing to go to save them. The Apostle Paul, when he still hated God, watched a young man get stoned to death for no reason for just simply saying that Christ is Lord and and giving a gospel presentation. He watched this man named Stephen, this young man named Stephen, get stoned to death and held everyone's coats and approved of the action. He... he liked what happened he was in agreement that this person had to die for his love of christ and god saved him
1: i think we're getting it we're jumping back and forth a bit but i do want to yeah go back to the death i want to look briefly at roman crucifixion mm-hmm. yep um because not only did christ choose to die but he chose to suffer one of the most painful, most humiliating forms of public execution that humanity has ever devised. And I don't want to say too much because I want children to be able to listen to this podcast, but I am going to go into a little bit of detail here. Um, first, I'm going to talk briefly about a typical crucifixion, and then we're going to look at some of the things that made Christ's special. But one thing that, you know, media has failed to capture is what actually happens when a person is crucified. We all know that, you know, they were nailed to the cross through their their hands or their wrists and their feet or their ankles. We, We know the basics, but what we don't pay attention to is what's going on in the body. And the short version is that in the the natural resting position with the the angle, the arms and the legs are at, you can't draw a breath. So every time you want to breathe in, you have to pull against those nails and they were usually secured with ropes as well. So they didn't just rip free. But the point is you have to push against those nails, run your back up the ragged splintery wood, To draw the breath in. And then you can't actually exhale very well from that position. So you have to run your back back down the wood to breathe out. Up and down with every breath for hours or days until you eventually die of some combination of exhaustion, suffocation, or just a plain old heart attack.
0: Yeah, and uh, more than likely, your shoulders or elbows or maybe both are dislocated. So you're pulling against that pain and swelling, too.
1: (laughs) This was why when they were trying to speed things along, the custom was to go through and break the victim's legs. It would make them unable to continue to push themselves up, and suffocation would come much more quickly.
0: But not quick enough. Yeah, It was still slow. It was agonizing.
1: Like I said, sometimes this would go on for a couple of days for some of the stronger victims before they would finally be unable to continue and uh and it was also designed to be a humiliating experience crucifixions happened in public in highly traveled areas and the victims were completely naked and for no other reason than to add to the Shame and humiliation they were experiencing while they died.
0: Yeah, I mean, no bathrooms, you just, you know, relieving yourself, just dangling there, public, you're bleeding to death, you're, you know, just gasping for air.
1: That's terrible. And those were the normal cases. Jesus got a bit of a special treatment, which basically took the form of beatings, mockings, and being whipped with the cat of nine tails, which was basically nine whips in one. And each one of the tails was laced with nails, pieces of glass, sharp stones, other similar objects. And the when the, when the torturer was whipping them, they would do it in such a way that the whip would actually wrap around a person's body and these pointy things would dig in and then they would yank it off and basically flayed the man with a whip jesus you know none of these things were standard procedure before crucifixion and jesus went through all of them and Even with all of this, the physical agony was not the worst part. Jesus was on the cross for about three hours from starting at about noon on that Friday. And during those three hours, he bore the full weight of the wrath of God against all sin. One person's sin would be enough to have that individual Suffering in hell forever. And he bore the entire penalty for every sin of every person. Concentrated in the space of three hours.
0: How it works? Don't know. God is an infinite being.
1: Because Jesus was God. Because he is infinitely valuable. His sacrifice could pay an infinite debt. And because he is man, because he took on human flesh and lived as a man, he could pay the debt for mankind. Jesus spoke seven different times when he was on the cross, which is in itself amazing because, as we've already said, crucifixion was slow death by suffocation. Most victims saved their breath they didn't talk or if they did they only said one or two things he spoke seven times and one of one of the seven he cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me and the reason he called out twice why the reason he said my god twice is because he was addressing both the father and the spirit the other two persons in the trinity that he had been in perfect fellowship with forever for eternity past turned their back on him and poured out all of their wrath at the same moment and then at the end the seventh and last thing he said was one word in the greek and it's (laughs) got to be one of my favorite words and i'm i know i'm going to butcher the pronunciation but it's something along the lines of to tell and in english it translates to three words we say it is finished it was one word in the greek and it was an accounting term it was the word that you would use if you know like a businessman who had owed a large debt and had been paying on it for years when the last installment is paid when the debt is completely paid off there's no more to do it was finished done gone he would use the word to tell us that it it's finished there is no more to pay and that was the last thing jesus said on the cross and then he died the debt was paid there is nothing more that we owe nothing could be or needs to be added the work of Christ on the cross.
0: and uh, That's what's so blessed about it is, God could have set up any number of obstacles, trials, challenges, anything to earn this. You know, could have had us cut off an arm and a leg and live hobbled if he so chose. But instead... He came down and did all the hard work and took all of our punishment and now extends his hand out to us and all we have to do is take it. All we have to do is have faith, just believe, just admit that we're wrong, that he's right, that he is God, that Jesus is Lord. And the, only, and the only payment available for sin. And trust in Him for that payment. That's it. Submit to God. Love Him. Even though we do none of this that He asked perfectly. Just, just doing it. Just trusting and believing. Is it. And you won't do it perfect. And what's beautiful is God... You know after you trust and believe he doesn't just leave you on your own he then you know the Holy Spirit God enters into your life he indwells you he lives in you and with you and he from that moment from the moment you believe starts a work of perfecting you of strengthening you of bringing you close to God getting you ready for eternity a, a Holy and complete and loving communion with you starts then. You become a new person, a new being, a new creature. And you are remade and reborn. And from that moment on, you're never alone. God is always with you. He's always there. He's always guiding you, always directing you. And he loves you. Your relationship with God starts there, and He does not let you go. He doesn't expect you to be perfect because He knows you can't, which is why He came and did all of the perfection for us. We, in a sense, put on Jesus' perfection like a coat, like a robe. And And when God looks on us, looks at our account, He sees Christ in His perfection doesn't he takes our sin and he as the bible said he cast it into the sea and it sinks to the bottom figuratively not literally and it doesn't come up again
1: that's that's the miracle christ wrapped himself in our sin to pay our debt and then he wraps us in his righteousness so that we can have his reward And we're going to talk briefly about the swoon theory. Many people have heard of the swoon theory, which basically says that Jesus was only mostly dead. He never fully died, and so there was no resurrection. And the swoon theory is completely ridiculous for several reasons. We're going to look at a couple of them real fast. Uh, Hang on. What are we... Um, So we are running a... I I think
0: instead of addressing one... We'll just address what the truth is and then touch on the other ones because, like, Jesus died. His body, of course, God in spirit can't die, but his body, the physical body of Christ, died, heart-stopped, dead, and was then given new life, raised, transformed, perfected. He rose from the dead physically. There's a physical resurrection. He did not pop out as a ghost and then you know ghost around and stuff he had an actual body his followers touched him they held his hands they hugged him they ate with him they saw him eat and drink physical resurrection
1: and and these were the people that had just spent 3 years with the man they knew him well they would have been able to detect any kind of actor or fraud or other scam not only that but one of his
0: followers that one of his followers after his resurrection was his Was his brother, was his half brother, of course, because, you know, his dad was God. The father was God, you know, God. Um, He uh, he um, his brother did not believe until after the resurrection. So and the reason I bring that up is because his brother would know who his brother would know who he is. And his, you know, some people have proposed that maybe Jesus had a twin. And if Jesus had a twin, I think his brother would have known about it. And I don't think his brother would have been like, like, there's Jesus and there's um, Joseph. And then just, you know, wonder where the other one went one day because he never saw him again. But also to prove that it was that Jesus rose, he Showed another one of his one of his followers declared that he wouldn't believe unless he touched, you know, the imprints of the nails on his hands and touched the wound on his side, and Jesus, you know, when he appeared to him said, "Here, come look, come touch the scars, come touch the the scar in my side," or, uh, if you, the way you read it, you know, the the wound could still be there in a way, but not bleeding, not gross, but you know, still there in some way. Come. Come put your hand in the wound and believe. And this man saw Christ, knew who he was, t- physically touched the scars and the wound, and believed.
1: Which I do want to touch on that side wound briefly. Yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the swoon theory, but this is one of the major evidences against it. So I do want to jump there just quickly. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, now the swoon theory would make, make sense. But, uh, When a person dies of suffocation, they have what's called a pericardial effusion, which is just a fancy way of saying that a watery, bloody fluid builds up in the sack around the heart and crushes it. It's part of that death process. When the soldiers were going through at the end of the day and they broke the legs of the criminals on either side of Jesus, they got to him and saw that he was already dead. And so they didn't break his legs. But just to be extra certain, they grabbed a spear and they shoved it in his side. And it says, blood mixed with water flowed out. Which basically shows, one, he had already died of the suffocation. But two, the spear went into his heart. And so, you know, anyone who says that he never actually died would have to somehow say that he survived not only crucifixion. Beatings. Not only the beatings. Not only the scourgings.
0: The dehydration. the He
1: didn't just, you know... Yeah, the the uh, highly trained Roman legions made a mistake, and then he survived a spear thrust into his heart, followed by three days worth of bleeding out in a tomb. Yeah. It, 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 it makes no logical sense. No medical possibility of this working. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if you want to look at more details of how we know he died, how we know he was raised... Um, One beautiful resource is the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, which is basically Lee Strobel was an investigative reporter and he was an atheist. He hated Christianity and he decided to write a hit piece on Jesus and disprove the resurrection. And he did tons of research trying to find any weak point. And the end result was that he convinced himself of the truth of the claims and he became a Christian and then wrote a book about his own search. It's a fantastic work. They made a movie based off of it, which is basically a brief biography, and both are very well done.
0: In dramatized form. Yes. And then uh, another person uh, on that same vein of atheist who set out to disprove Christianity was a man named J. Warner Wallace, who was a cold case detective. And then he opened up the Bible, you know, you know, uh, uh, took what everyone said as witness testimony, like did it as a cold case investigation and came up with and came out in his findings were that it was all consistent. He saw exactly in history what he would expect to see if a person showed up, claimed to be God and then rose from the dead.
1: And probably my favorite personal story. There are a lot of atheists throughout history that have become Christians by trying to f- prove it false but my personal favorite story along those lines is a man named jack lewis uh c.s lewis he's more you know he went by jack um i would too if my name was clive staples but anyway he was a professor at either oxford or cambridge around world war ii i don't remember which Cambridge. cambridge yeah highly educated man devout atheist studied the bible to prove it wrong and I remember reading in one of his books, he said, I was dragged kicking and screaming into the fold of God by the sheer weight of the evidence. And went on to write Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters, The Chronicles of Narnia, and many other fantastic works. Amazing author, very skilled preacher, well worth reading.
0: Uh, and I could go on about you know atheists that became Christians all day because they became... They always become the the, the fiercest apologists. Uh-huh.
1: Amazing things to study. But,
0: but not we the have, point. Yeah,
1: we are running a little low on time, so we need to jump ahead to the next part.
0: Uh, okay, so we've gone over the resurrection. Well, we've already covered repent, believe, and you'll be saved. I mean, it...
1: Yeah. So, oh, so well, let's briefly talk define these terms. To believe is exactly what we've been saying. You believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Believe that he did what he said he did. And to repent is to change your mind. It means to get, turn around 180 degrees and go the other direction. The sins that you used to love you now hate. The God that you used to hate and run from and suppress his truth. You now love and wish to serve with all of your heart.
0: And You won't do it perfect.
1: No, you will not be perfect. You will not, you know, suddenly click and no longer be a sinner. But you will see the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life. You will love Him. You will love His people. And when you sin, and you will continue to sin, but when you do, you will feel... Remorse and regret and you will be genuinely upset that you have sinned against the God who loves you and all it takes all you have to do is just just talk to him just tell him you love him, tell him you believe that he is who he said and ask him to forgive your sins he is ready right now to forgive you to cleanse you from all unrighteousness all guilt, all shame and make you his son it says he came unto his own and his own did not receive him but to as many as received him to them he gave the right to be called the sons of god even to those who believe in his name
0: son or daughter that means daughter too it doesn't mean men only but um son he will love you and it is something to note is that in, you know, the the talking about sons, you know, in the Roman culture, adopting someone, once you adopted someone, legally you couldn't unadopt them. I've been told. Uh, Pastor MacArthur did a, did a thing about what adoption, you know, when Paul was writing about it, what he was talking about. And it was a big process. It was a big, you know, there was like some show uh, along with the legal process but once you were adopted by somebody there wasn't turning back you know when someone adopted you they they, they you know they, they were saying like look I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of you no matter what comes of it and God being infinite and powerful and owns all things and you know works all things together for the good of those who love him, He's not going to let you go. You could sin. There are people who fall away even to the point of at least superficially rejecting him. But something in them, you know, God never truly lets them go completely. And that's the hope that we have that, you know, we don't just hold on to him. And one day if we slip and let go of his hand, he'll let us fall. He will catch us and he will keep us willing to let us go
1: again read the gospel of john this is it said so much more beautifully and more plainly there than we ever could yep one uh, of my favorite books in the bible
0: yep. uh, like uh like jesus said john chapter 10 uh and i give them eternal life and no one will snatch them from my hand and when he says no one he means he means angels demons people politicians uh, bad guys, rapists, murderers, even yourself—you're not going to take yourself out of his hand.
1: You if cannot were truly
0: his. So bless, so. Oh, what a savior! Amen. Oh, hallelujah.
1: Um. See, uh, we've already talked about no one is beyond saving. We've already talked about decide now. Don't procrastinate.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to follow up you know, do a, because that's literally one of the last things on the, on the sheet here. Um, I wrote so much and we can't go into it, but don't wait, don't let, life is uncertain. And I think living post COVID, everyone should know that it could be tonight there's a break-in, or a fire, or a gas leak, or, or a, car a wreck. meteor, or a car wreck, or something, and you're taken out of the game, and then your decision's made. You had your life, you had, ever since hearing this, if you're hearing this the first time, you know, you, you become accountable to it. And you could choose now to accept eternal life. To accept peace with God, to accept peace that you don't deserve, that by all rights, you know, shouldn't be, wouldn't be given to you had God not extended his hand out to us. And like I have written here, you know, you wouldn't, if you were standing on the top floor of a burning building... And you look around you and the room you're in is a raging inferno and you hear a voice call out from one of the walls, one of the windows, and you look and there's a fireman standing on a ladder saying, come with me. This building could collapse at any minute. This is the only way out. You wouldn't stop then and say, oh, well, hold on. Let me get a chance to think about it or let me wait till after I've lived a little bit or let me wait till after you know, college or marriage or what whatever goal you set for yourself that you think you need freedom from God from, you would run to that fireman and you would leap out of the window into his arms to safety away from the inferno. And I tell you now that if you were outside of Christ, your situation is more perilous than even that. As Jonathan Edwards in a famous sermon wrote, paraphrase you are dangr. you are a spider or an insect dangling over a raging inferno and only a piece of string is holding you up and the flames of hell are are are, are licking at the, the the string and it could and as soon as the moment god allows it that string will be severed and you will plunge into hell forever and there's no take backs there's no Oh, well, I learned my lesson now. Once you die here and judgment falls, that's it. So, Jesus did say, you know, nobody builds a tower without first, uh, counting the cost. without first counting the cost. So I tell you now, count the cost. Do your research. Do it quickly. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. If you feel the need, the urge to run to God now, that's Him calling for you, and you need to go to Him while the, while the offer is still good, while He's still calling out for you, while you still draw breath, you need to go to Him. Don't wait. Don't leave your eternity you know, in the, up to the chance of tomorrow, up to another thousand ways that you could die make the decision quick, find out the answers you need, do all the research you need to do, and make a choice. And I pray that if you start the journey that you're given enough time to complete it. But if you've heard all of this, this is basically all you need to know. I know Mm -hmm. everyone will still have questions. I know I did, Let's start.
1: I do want to talk very briefly. We we've met, we've talked a bit about hell and what Jesus saves us from. I do want to talk very briefly about what we are saved for to Two. Two, for yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, whichever <laughs> preposition you want. But you know, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of pictures of heaven being basically sitting around bored on a cloud with a harp and
0: bunch of babies. Yeah.
1: Bunch of babies with wings and diapers. And that's, that's just not what the Bible depicts um the eternal state for a believer is in a resurrected perfected glorified body on a new perfected earth we will be with god and with every other believer from all of history there will be no pain no sorrow no fear no suffering no tears it is described as full and abundant joy and pleasure forever we will work we will have like i said bodies real bodies we will still be us
0: made of heavenly things
1: we will be us but perfected literally the best versions of ourselves every wicked desire every evil thought every selfish whim will be removed and every good pure pleasure will be magnified a thousand times amen and you know Again, read the Bible. It is such, you know, there are so many beautiful pictures, you know, given for what heaven and then for eternity, the new earth will be like.
0: And, uh, and as a secondary blessing, your life in this life becomes more fulfilled.
1: Yes. Definitely. Not easier.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> Accepting Christ makes you an enemy of the world, and the ruler of the world, who is the devil and his minions, you become an enemy of the world, not so much all the people, but the system, the powers that be, the people that pull the strings. You, when you accept Christ, start swimming against the tide, against the current. And it's hard. You will be tempted. You will you will, run across... That you will find things in yourself that you've never seen before. You will see yourself truly for how you are and how far away from God that you are without Him. But at the same time though, that fullness of life, the, the being fulfilled, the taking away of that eternal, that, that dread of eternity and, and God and holiness is removed and your life becomes more fulfilled It is the hardest but most fulfilling life
1: you could have. And despite all the conflict and all the pain, there is also unbelievable peace. Jesus says that he gives peace that is beyond understanding, and it's not like the world gives. And the reason is because it's not in any way dependent on our circumstances. It flows from our right relationship with him. And so as difficult as certain parts of life get as a believer the peace and the joy are are just overwhelming it's, it's amazing
0: it's like you it's like all of a sudden you you find yourself in some what feel what before would feel like a a world ending scenario and somehow there's just this 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 peace this Under all of the the fallen, fearful nature, there is a a rock-solid, you know, uh, how would you describe it?
1: A confidence that all of this, all of the pain will work together ultimately for our good and God's glory.
0: No matter what you go through, and the believers all through history have gone through terrible, terrible Persecution and suffering, but somehow their joy was not extinguished. Their, their confidence and their knowing that it all works out, and that they don't have to worry about tomorrow.
1: There were a couple of different martyrs that were that history records that as they were burning alive, they were singing hymns of praise. Explain that.
0: <laughs> yeah, as a uh, you know, people. Willingly and joyfully, in many cases, going to their deaths, proclaiming Christ. It's unbelievable. You gotta gotta look it up and see it.
1: Um. Anyway, we're out of time. We should, We're gonna go ahead and close in prayer. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have just cut you off. Were you were you wanting to say more?
0: No, I was. A, I was. Okay. I was <laughs> about to say. Yeah, we have gone on for a while. <laughs> this is a take three. Three.
1: three? Yeah, we tried a couple of times and had some technical difficulties at the beginning, but technical difficulties, false starts. Uh, I
0: accidentally said Jesus rose in spirit, and we couldn't let that <laughs> we couldn't let that go. So, um, but uh, all right, let me hear you? I may as well. Okay,
1: Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the incredible privilege of being called your son. Despite all that I have done, you have loved me, and you sent Jesus to pay my penalty, and I thank you. I pray for each person listening to this podcast. I pray that if there are any among them who do not have this personal relationship with you, that they would listen, that they would hear, and that they would come to you in repentance and faith. And if there are people listening to this episode that are believers, I ask that you would use this time to strengthen them, to fill them with your peace and your joy, and to remind them who you are and what you have done. I ask that you would be with us this week. Help us as we go about our lives to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. And if you have any questions, concerns, you want more resources, more info that we can point you to. Just or you to, just
1: want to insult us and tell us that we're horrible people.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: That's always an option. Yeah. And who knows if it's clever enough, we might uh, take a page from another podcast and read the, the email on our next episode. But anyway, anyway, um,
0: the email is askwretch at p-m me. That's a-s-k W R E T C H at PM dot me. No, we're not associated, affiliated, or acquainted with Wretched Radio. <laughs> All right. Y'all have a blessed week.